Hey, uh, welcome to East Lake. My name is Brent. I'm the teaching pastor here at East Lake. We're so glad that you're here. If you're a first-time guest with us, we are honored that you would take a time out of a busy weekend. I know it's summertime too, so a lot of things competing for your time. We're honored that you would spend it with us. Today we are on part three of a series called Trust Issues. It's been a series on money, and anytime money is talked about in the church, there's always trust issues, right? Uh, when somebody like me talks about a topic like this, it's like, Ugh. in fact, after first service, somebody came up and, and said, all right, I was real skeptical about this entire series because this is what's turned me off to church before, and uh, good job because I'm, I'm still going to come next week. So I don't hate it. So that's my goal is that you don't hate it. That's, that's really, it's a low bar, but I think, I think we're going to enjoy it. Um, it's funny because trust issues are always uh, not just with church and money, but like life and money. I mean, if you've been any sort of, uh, in, in any sort of long-term relationship, marriage or just uh, whatever, uh, and money starts getting to be like, okay, we're doing life together, so we probably should integrate some of this stuff, and maybe not full integration, but like at least partial or whatever, and then it's always like, all of a sudden, like the, the, the question of money and trust issues of money gets, it gets around. And, and if you've ever thought about anything, and, and if you haven't yet, it's not a, a matter of if, it's just a matter of when, at some point you're gonna fight and the topic is gonna be at least adjacent to money. So money's gonna be involved somehow, right? Why'd you do this and why'd you do this and why'd you do this? And, and it typically comes down to, uh, I don't like the way that you're handling what I perceive to be our money or part of this thing. And, and I think you're just being selfish or rude or whatever anyways. Money has all kinds of effects. It show, uh, shows up in a ton of different ways, and it's a big part of why we do life, which is why I think it's not uh, like all that uh, not interesting that, that Jesus talked about money so much. In fact, uh, a majority of his parables, he talked about money more than any other topic that he talked about because he knew this is a felt need at all levels of current being. In fact, uh, somebody after, uh, even after first service today goes, it's so funny that you talked about this. This is their first time or first time in a long time or whatever. And they go, we were just talking about money. And I, and, we both, and I just laughed. I'm like, you think it's so unique. Like I got lucky that you were just talking about money and then you came to church and we're talking about money. I'm like, this is, the, this is like the one topic. As soon as I talk about it, everybody goes, oh, we were just talking about this, right? How crazy unique are we, huh? Not that crazy unique. We talk about it all the time. So we said, here's the deal. If we are gonna take... Jesus seriously, uh, when he says to follow me, there's no way that we could ignore what he has to say about money. You can't pick and choose. Like I, 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 wanna, I wanna take Jesus seriously when he's talking about heaven and hell and, and, and life and, and healing and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And yet when it comes to money, we're like, I think we're good. Like his, 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 uh, his stories and his thoughts all of a sudden turn into like opinions and suggestions. And we like what you suggest about money, Jesus. However, we feel like we're doing okay in this area. So anyways, I don't think as a Christ follower, you can kind of categorize in that way. So we've been looking at some of the most famous money text as it relates to what Jesus had to say about money. We've been in Luke chapter 16, and he talks about not being mastered by your money, uh, but, but being in, in charge of it, having as a, understanding money as a means. It's best used as a means, as a tool uh, to get things done that you wanna get done. And then last week, the challenge, he, he, he begins to say, listen, don't allow money to master, your, master you. You need to learn how to master your money, to which the automatic response from us is, don't worry about that, Jesus. We don't have enough to be mastered by it, right? I, we're not in a position, I don't have enough. There's no fear. I'm not, I'm not worried about, oh, I wonder if I have too much money. I've never worried about that ever in my life. And I just don't think that that's a reality or a problem for me. And yet, according to Jesus, every single person, regardless of your income and regardless of your current balance in your bank account, everyone is vulnerable at making money more than what it should be. It can become the factor in something, not just a factor, but the factor. It can influence your decisions. You can take and accept a job or, or stay in a job that you hate, but hey, the money's good. 
You can make decisions relationally that don't make sense, that hurt people that you love. And the core motivator for it was something stupid like money because you made it a, you made a factor, the factor. And we are all, regardless of where we're at, you're never out of the woods on that. You're never out of the woods, no matter how much you make. You're always at a factor of making money. And the, the churchy term is an idol, right? Or the biblical term is an idol, something that competes and challenges your allegiance towards what is priority number one in my life. What is priority number one in my life? So today we're moving on. This is the conclusion of a three-part series. Uh, so if you, if you hate churches talking about money, you only have to suffer through this and you're already here, so you might as well, right? And then next week we'll start something different. But I wanna talk about today, before, before to, to lead into our, what our kind of main idea is, I wanna talk about air conditioning for a second, okay? And partly because it's a little warm in here today. It's just hot in general, and this is a 50-year-old theater, so it happens, right? Have you ever gone on a summer vacation and thought to yourself, I should just turn the AC completely off while I'm gone? I'm gone for seven days. Why cool a house nobody's living in? And then you find out, or you hear through Grapevine, or there's rumors out there that you're not really supposed to do that, because to recover to the point where it's comfortable again is far more taxing on your system and more costly to you and energy-wise than it would be to just keep it cold while you're gone. Now, if you didn't know that, that's like free advice. Now, it was free to, it's free to you today. It wasn't free to me. So like last year, we had to replace our AC unit, okay? Um, and I don't know if you've ever done that, but it's basically, in the terms of expenses, it's like buy a house, replace an AC unit. That's kind of the echelon and then everything else. Flooding your house is somewhere in there. It's really close. So, but that's, those are significant costs. So when they come over and they've got like, here's three different plans of what you could do. And you know, here's, here's the base level. Here's you know, economic version or economy version. This one has like, it's like a signature. And so it's really fancy. You're gonna like this one. Um, this one's made of pure gold, 14 karat. Um, you're gonna really like this one. It's gonna be real conducive to anyways. All of these different options. And as soon as you see the figures, if you're anything like me, you begin to play stupid mind games. Like, I wonder if we could do this with fans and dry ice. Could we just, <laughs> like how much dry ice would you have to buy to just, like, when, when's the line, the break-even point for this? And the break-even point was when your wife says, I will move out of this house if you don't fix the AC unit. So you, then you just bite the bullet and you sign the 15-year loan agreement to be able to pay off the, the AC. You're like, oh, my Lord, don't say that. Tell me you didn't do that. I didn't, but it felt like it. You know what I mean? Here's what's really nice. Our new system comes with this like Wi-Fi control thing, so you can control things from your phone, which is really nice. It also sends you helpful reminders that, hey, you'll never be able to upgrade this phone because you spent way too much in your AC unit. So that's really cool. That's a real added benefit for this. Here's what I learned from the guy. This is, this is why I'm, I'm just bringing you, I just wanna be a filter of knowledge for you, all right? When he installed this thing, I, I begin to ask him about the life, expected lifespan of units like this. And it was, well, it's all dependent on how often you change your filters uh, and how cool you like to keep the house and how often it works and whether, you know, all this kind of stuff. And he brought up that idea of when you leave, here's some helpful advice, don't turn it down. It's easier to stay cold than to get cold. It's easier to stay cold than to get cold. And as I'm thinking through this idea of money, I think this is gonna relate because we're gonna be talking about tracking expenses today or keeping track of where my money's going. Where's your money going? Where's your money going? Where's your money going? And I, my, my, my thought and my creative whatever is that this. Money is easier to keep up with than to try and catch up with. 
that if you let it get out of control and you don't care and you just let everything drop to kind of whatever because we're not, you know, we're not going to keep an eye on it anymore and we, I'm sure we're doing fine. We just never check. We just, I feel like we're spending less than we're, um, than we're making, so I feel like we're good. Whenever you start using language like it seems to me or it feels like, that is foolish language because nothing is more easier in life than tracking money where it goes. It's so easy nowadays. You track hardcore how much you get coming in. As soon as your, as soon as your business or your, your boss or your employer uh, forgets or mis, misuses something on your W-2 form, it's amazing how quickly we catch that and how, how much we track our income and how lack of a motivated we are to track our expenses in this way. And so my thought for you is you should be knowing where it's going. You should be knowing where it's going. There's a lot of mystery in marriage. There's a lot of mystery in raising kids. There shouldn't be any mystery in, in understanding and figuring out and defining where your money is going. Now, I remember as a kid, my mom, uh, and this, uh, this is going to date her a little bit, but tracking everything through, she would call it balancing her checkbook. Like once a month, she would get the bill in the mail, she would go into an office, and, and I, I say data, and some of you are like, I do still do that, and that's, it's fun. That's great. Um, <laughs> sounds like a real great time. And it seemed to me, I'd, I'd walk into her office, and I'd be like, what are you doing? She's got her glasses down. They're perched on the edge of her nose, and she's got a little calculator out, and she's like, I'm balancing the checkbook. And I'd be like, well, explain to me what that is. And she would say, we're taking all of the list that the bank sent me of our statement, and we're matching it up to my records and your dad's records of what he wrote down as expenses for this, and I say, well, what would you do when they don't match up? And she goes, well, we'd see if it's their fault or it's my, f- or, if, or if it's our fault or dad's fault or probably dad's fault. <laughs> and and here's what I recognized out of I don't know how many years of watching her do this. It was never the bank's fault. Did you know that? It's never the bank. They never forget to carry the one. It's always if there was a discrepancy, it's on her, right? They do this for a living. This they're professionals. They don't mess up on that. And I know there's somebody sitting in here going, ah, ah, ah but this one time. I caught my bank and they didn't carry the one and they tried to stiff me out of 10 bucks and I called them on it and they reversed it and sure they did, I'm sure they did. And you know what they did? They reversed it to get you off the phone or get you out of the lobby because you're making a scene and then they charged you a $10 maintenance account fee and they got it back somehow. Do you know what I mean? So that's how it works, I'm just telling you. But here's why this is important. Tracking your expenses in seasons where you're in a paycheck to paycheck mode. And listen, we've all been there and we all, they're, they're, they come and they go. And you think I shouldn't be this old, still living paycheck to paycheck, you know, whatever. In season to season paycheck, paycheck to paycheck seasons of life, tracking your expenses is going to be something that takes the pressure off of you. You no longer have to wonder. I hope, I hope that there's more income than outgo, or if it's reversed, then I hope. There's something in savings to be able to make this work, and I hope that we've got enough months, and I hope that it, listen, you live with the stress of unknowing, you live with the stress of mystery, and by doing this effectively, I'm telling you, you will save yourself so much pain and heartache of trying to catch up to this later. You can live like this. You can live poorly. You can take your eyes off the ball for six months, and that recovery moment is going to take you far longer than it would have to invest up front. So a little bit of knowledge, a little bit of discipline, a little bit of time, a little bit of tracking to get you in the right way. Now, on the flip side of this thing, because you might be like, all right, yeah, I, I get it. But in years of plenty, this habit puts pressure on you. When there's not much there, it relieves pressure. When there's an abundance there, this puts pressure on you because here's why. In areas and seasons of plenty, we can oftentimes lose track of where it's 
going and overestimate how generous we are and underestimate how much we like to spoil ourselves on us. You're confronted with actual figures and facts of how much you actually spend on coffee because it feels like $3 a day or it feels like this. And then when you look at it in a month and a glance, you go, that's a car payment. What am I doing with that? And we can overestimate our percentage of generosity in this way. So I think, I think, listen, this is good on a practical level, but as we're going to see in a minute, we cannot afford to not do this on a spiritual level if we're going to take Jesus seriously when he talks about money. And anytime I talk about budgeting and money and finances and all of this kind of stuff, listen, if you are married right now or significant other or whatever, and you share some sort of finances together, and you're here together right now, and you're listening to this, here's what I know about you. One of you hates me, and the other one wants to hug me (laughs) and say, they should be listening. Can you say that again? Can you say it louder? Can you say it with more conviction? And if you're questioning which one you are, and you say, I wonder which one I am, and then you just received an elbow in the side, then it's you that needs to hear this. There's always one. Here's two takeaways, and then we're going to dive into a parable that Jesus talks about. Number one is this. Knowing you can know is not the same as knowing, because immediately I know the response is, oh, I can download my, I can, I can export a CSV from my Amex card at any time. Yeah, but you don't. Knowing you can do it doesn't mean you actually do it and doesn't mean you know. And you would say, well, I just did it. Yeah, but did you go through and did you actually look at it? Did you, did you look at it in, in a category standpoint? Did you look at it in terms of, uh, of, uh, of placing this on things that I spent on myself, things that I invested into my business, things that I invested into myself or my kids or whatever? Did you look at it from a, a real dive standpoint or did you just download the file and be like, I, I can look at it whenever I want? Yeah, but you don't. Number two is the more you have of something, the more it feels like you don't have to be careful with it. If you've ever been in a season of plenty, you know the more you have of something, the less you feel like I need to be careful with this. When you know things are tight, you tend to tighten the belt a little bit. You begin to monitor expenses more. For a while, when you start a new business, everything is like we're, we're, we're looking over everything with a fine-tooth comb. We're diving into this in detail. And then, and then some days it gets to the spot where your business is so successful or your life or your job and the money's just coming in, it's just coming in, and you can tend to then take your eye off the ball and not be careful with it. Listen, even when it comes to things such as like water, our access to water is so abundant. I can go to a hose on the side of my house and wash my car uh, and not even think about the water situation, not even think about how there are so many people in this world, and we just did this community thing for clean water, which is why it's such on the forefront of my mind. I don't even think about it. I'd be surprised. I'd be shocked if I turned it and water didn't come out. There would be a problem. The problem is not the excess that I have. Sometimes I'll be like, do I want to go and like put the, the thing on the, on, on the end to be able to stop it, or should I just let the water run, and I'll, I'll get it done fast enough, right? And, and, and then I just don't, not enough to be like flood my driveway, but like I'm just, you know, I'm not worried about excess, I'm not even careful with it because I, I, it's not even in the, in, the, in the mindset for me because I have such an abundance of it. Now, if you don't have to be careful, you, don't have the, you have the tendency to not be careful. And if you're a Jesus follower, that cannot be true in regards to your money. If you are a Jesus follower, to not be careful when it comes to your money is just not to follow in line with what he teaches. If you're a Jesus follower, this goes way beyond practical. So we're going to dive into a parable today, Matthew chapter 25. It's called the parable of the talents. A couple of things you need to know about parables. 
Parable is a made-up story with, to make one simple point. It's typically in stress-loaded, which means the point comes at the end, which means the end is prioritized above the beginning and the middle. And it's typically um, a kind of like a, the way that we would hear it would be once upon a time, uh, something like this happened. And as soon as somebody says once upon a time, you inherently know this is a fictional story and you don't have to like, you know, well, what was his name? Well, uh, let's call him Bill. Well, what was his real name? And you're like, no, 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 it's the, I'm making this up. Jesus would tell these ter- parables all the time. He would oftentimes preach. We, we can see in Matthew chapter five, the Sermon on the Mount, him preaching. We would see him doing some healing ministries. He would have that. Um, and then occasionally he would gather a group of people together. And when he would teach, it would not be what's called didactic teaching, which is here's five things you need to do with your finances, here's four way to grow your, you know, whatever. He would oftentimes tell stories and you would find yourself in the story and these stories would be inloaded and there would always be one big takeaway that you take away. And, and, and it wasn't meant to be like, well, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? parables were like, don't miss the big thing. Don't get caught up in the weeds with this. Focus on the big thing. And that's going to come through big time uh, in what we see with today. Now, the second thing about parables before we get into it is oftentimes they would begin with him saying, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then they would go on and he would describe the story, or the kingdom of God is like this. Now, what you need to know is that he's not trying to describe heaven as a place that you go when you die. He's trying to describe a way of doing life where God's kingdom mindset is how you see things. Or I wrote this, a life that is centered on God-ordained principles would look something like this. And then he would begin to explicate the kind of parable as, as the way that it goes, all right? So not a place that you go, but a way of doing life that is tainted with God's kind of, and we sang about this a moment ago in the last, the third song, um, eight billion times or eight billion examples of your life, of you being made known. If you love them enough to die for them, then so will I, right? I, I, I wanna see them the way that you see them and carry out their will. Anyways, all right. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. We're gonna walk through it verse by verse and provide some commentary along the way. It's gonna be on the screens behind me or on the notes if you text the word notes to your phone, uh, on your phone to 97,000. You can see that on the bottom there. All right. Again, because he's already, he's coming out of just saying a parable and he's going into it. Again, it, and I wrote in parentheses kingdom of heaven because I, I wanted to make sure that you were aware of that. Again, the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted, that's key word, entrusted his wealth to them. What does it mean to entrust somebody with your wealth? It doesn't mean to give it to them in terms of like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm dying or I'm dead and now here's, I'm, uh, you're my heir, you've inherited it. That's different. We'll talk about inheritance later. Entrusting is I'm going away for a while. Here it is. Do with this money the way, w- w- what you think I would do with it. I'm entrusting you to take care of this. You do not own this. You are simply managing this for me and there'll be a time of accountability for it. All right. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his, his ability. Three different servants, three different amounts of gifts to him or benefits or whatever. Like all good managers, he recognizes that not everybody has the same skill set. And this is gonna be true for life. All right, so we all know people in life who have been blessed with an abundance and they seem to have been given more than us. More smarts in terms of business, more looks, more... Uh, uh, just self-awareness, more humor, more, I don't know what it is, but we all know five baggers and we all know some one baggers too, right? And we're trying to figure out, am I a five bagger or a one bagger or a two bagger? And the reality is, since you know people who are better than you and you know, probably know people who are worse off than you in those areas, we're probably all two baggers. It's kind of where we're kind of at in this mix, okay? We know people who are good, anyways, all right. 
Then he went on his journey. The man who received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. And yeah, we all hate people like this. Yeah, I got five. Somebody gave me a lot. I got this super great talent. God blessed me with these five bag looks, right? We're not all five bag looks. I'm sorry that we all can't be in that category. So just kidding. Uh, and, and yeah, yeah. Uh, and we, we go, I'm sorry, I just, I'm gonna take advantage of the thing that I have. So I, I took five and I went out and made five more. And it's like, well, yeah, I would have done that if I would have had five bag looks, but I don't, or five bags of money or whatever. It's not me. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who'd received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. And right there, we kind of get this like, oh, I know where this story is headed. I know, the, I know the trajectory of this thing. Because we've all been in that spot. You can imagine being the guy who got one, watching the guy who got two and the guy who got five, and they're going out and they're doing their thing, and all they're doing is sitting there with their bag of money in their hand going, well, what am I supposed to do with this? He got two, he got five. I got one. Like, what's the point of even trying with just one? Verse 19, after a long time, after a long time, the master of those servants returned, and he settled accounts with them, asking them, Essentially, what did you do with what you had? The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. He did what any good manager knows to do. He had said, I'm gonna invest in those who get things done. You did five. You took five, made it 10. I'm gonna entrust you with more. All right, next verse. Verse 22, the man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. What what do you notice about those two things? The exact same response from the master to the servant, regardless of the fact that he got five and he only got two more. Yes, they both doubled in percentage-wise, but the exact same response, which then paints the picture and sets us up for the third person to supposedly, hopefully, grab his one bag, match it with another bag, give it, and get the exact same response. But we all know that that's not how it's gonna happen, right? Verse 24, then the man who had received one bag came and he said, master, he's about to deliver a speech of sorts. So here's the deal. Like, here's the deal. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. In other words, you're a driver. You're a business person who takes no prisoners, who goes and, and tries to get money when, you know, just scraping everything and leaving whatever behind, stepping on whatever you need to step on to be able to get success. So I was afraid because of your behavior that I'm familiar with, I was afraid. So I didn't, I'm, you're gonna find out I'm not gonna, I didn't do much, but it's kind of your fault because A, you set me up for failure by only giving me one when you gave them two and five, and then I just know your personality and I was so afraid that I would lose the one and be in a really bad spot, so I did something different. I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here is exactly what belongs to you. The first two servants, here's what's been entrusted to me. Here's what was entrusted to me. And now... Here's what belongs to you. Very different outlooks on where we stand in terms of, do I own this? Do I manage this? Whose money is this? What's expected of me? Do you, will you, are you 
managing your personal finances in life in a way of saying, God, this whole thing is a gift. What I do, I wanna reflect the opportunity and, be, and, and the blessing that you've given me. Here's what I've done with what you've entrusted me with. Or do every once in a while, I'll give back something. Every once in a while, I live my life and it's like, you do you, I'll do me. Here's what belongs a little bit to you. This is why like, I'm not really like a hardcore tithing person. If you've ever like, um, uh, if you've been around East Lake for any length of time, I haven't even, I don't, I don't think I've said that word in like two years. You never hear me at the end of service being like, all right, so here's our tithes and offerings and they go in the, in the front um, because it feels like it's like this percentage thing. And I think you should be a percentage giver in life, but like I, 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 I don't want it to feel like this weird law obligation thing because then it feels like, God, I'm giving you back what's, what's yours as opposed to a different way of looking at it, being like, this is what you've entrusted to me. There's, there's a language difficulty. I don't know if I'm illustrating that exactly correctly right, but I want to be the type of person that says, here's what you've entrusted to me versus here's what is, belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked or worthless, lazy servant. He's not mad that he lost it on roulette. He put it on black and he should have put it on red. He's mad because he didn't do anything about it. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest at least, which is not necessarily doubling it probably, but like something with it. You, you didn't even take the easy route. You did the opposite route and buried it in the ground. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags, to which us two baggers are like, hey, wait a second, we should split it because I did five and, and Jesus doesn't send, you know, doesn't, it's just a story. Like, I think he's like, hey, again, this is a once upon a time. This didn't really happen. For whoever has been given more, they will have, and they will have an, or for whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, which when we read this, we think, oh my God, he threw him in hell, right? That's what we think. And then the moral of the story, if that's what we think it is, is if you don't manage your money well, you're going to hell. <laughs> and that's not true. That's just, I'm just, that's, I'm kidding with that, okay? It's just a story. He's just a master with money. And he says, I'm throwing him outside, outside of the circle. And there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth, which oftentimes we can, we've, we, you know, our familiar scripture is enough to be like, that kind of is in relation to this idea of hell or punishment or whatever. And it really means frustration. It was a term that Jewish people would talk about. A gnashing of teeth is when you've, whenever you've grinded your teeth out of frustration, you, you have enough self-control to not like be like screaming and angry, but you're like, oh, that just rubs me the wrong way. When people do something and you just, it just peeves you off or whatever, and you just, you just you grind your teeth in that way and you're so frustrated. That's what he's saying. He's like, he's throw him outside of this circle. He's no longer within this household or this business opportunity. He's gonna be doing his own thing in that way. And I this is where Jesus would say, Don't get caught up in well, the one bag went to, you know, the went to the five and the ten. He's like, ah, it's all a mess. What's the what's the big idea? What's the one takeaway? What's the end stress? If this is a parable, what should I be looking for? And I think the answer is really this: what you have is less important than what you do with what you have. What you have is less important than what you do with what you have. How do I know this is true? Because the exact same response was given to the person with two who earned two more than the, with the guy who had five and earned five more. He didn't say, really great job, guy with five bags. 
pretty good job, guy with two bags. The exact same response to which we are left to assume had the guy with one bag turned it into one more and responded with it, what do you think the response from the master would have been? Probably, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been trusted with a few things. I'll trust you with a lot more. Come and share your master's faithfulness and your master's house and your master's blessing. Same exact response is to be assumed, except for the fact that he got so caught up in you know, comparison with other people. He got so caught up in fear of what happens if I lost this thing. And all of a sudden he realized I'm giving, I'm, all I'm doing is giving you back what is rightfully yours and not really truly understanding what it means to be entrusted with something and to do with it in the way that I would want you to do with it. The kingdom of heaven, according to Jesus, operates on this principle, which is why he says the kingdom of heaven is like a master with three servants. Now, I think it's incredibly important for us to, from a practical manner, track where our stuff is going. Why? Because we are managers of resources that are not our own, that we have been entrusted with abilities and skill sets and intelligence to be able to do the jobs that we do. That has been a gift from God to us. And in this moment, we are stewards. We are managers of this. We want, he wants us to do with it what we would do with it, which includes blessing our family and doing stuff for ourselves. But it also means being very clear about where it's all going and having an awareness that it's not good enough to be like, it feels like I'm generous. It feels like I don't spend too much on myself. It feels like not good enough. If you don't have to be careful, you have the tendency to not be careful. And if you're a Jesus follower, that cannot be true in regards to your money. What you have is less important than what you do with what you have. So if all of that is true, and if weeks one and two kind of lead up to this whole thing, then my encouragement to you for the next two months, I want you to do a little two-month challenge with me, if you will, and say, I'm gonna take Jesus seriously when he talks about managing these things and being aware of where it's all going and being aware of my role as a steward and a manager of this. Two-month challenge is this. Number one, to document your spending. To write it down somehow, somewhere. And again, you're like, I can download it. I know, but will you do it? Sometimes it's far easier to be able to actually write things down. In fact, you are more inclined to be more disciplined when you know you have to write something down. The reason I know that is because we did a 12-month fitness challenge about four or five years ago, which is way too long. We probably need another one for our staff. Anyways, and when we did it, we had this little app where we were all connected, and you got to record your eating habits. What you, you, every time you ate something, it's fine. You can eat whatever you want. Just make sure you plug it in, and then everybody knows Brent had a Snickers ice cream bar because they're on sale at Costco right now and they're freaking good, right? So that's, that's what happens. And now everybody knows. And then Chris shows up to the office the next day and says, how was that? Was it worth it? Is it worth losing this challenge and the 20 bucks that we all threw in the pot to see who could lose the most weight? And when I knew I was tracking it, I'd be like, I probably don't need that. I probably don't need that. I'm probably, I don't wanna go through the, the issue of having to write this thing down. <laughs> so I'm saying for two months with me, would you attempt to write down and track where every single dollar you spend goes? I don't even change, I'm not even asking you to change your habits at this point. Wait 
I'm just saying, because I want you to get a clear picture of how you've been living your life. And then number two, sit down and actually look at it. And then number three, and this is after the two months, at the very end of two months, you adjust if necessary. Are you happy with what this looks like? With the numbers reflecting how you're doing things, are you okay with, how you're, with what this looks like? Now, I think there's gonna be a lot of work involved in that two months. I haven't tracked my finances in years or whatever. I, I, I understand, I get it. Again, it comes down to that AC thing. I'm trying to set you up for success. I want you to do it now. I want you to be disciplined now at the front end of some of this stuff because I think this is a good habit to do on a monthly basis, but I'm just gonna ask you to get started right away with this. And it's gonna feel like a lot because you're trying to change the whole climate of how you do your own personal finances. So it's gonna be a long process. It's gonna be a little bit taxing, but here's the deal, man. In times of financial stress, this takes the pressure off. And in times of abundance, it puts the pressure on you. So no matter where you're at, I think this is a beneficial tool. Document spending, sit down and look at it and adjust if necessary. Have I been overestimating, overestimating my generosity and have I been underestimating how much I've been spending on myself? Now, I'm so thankful for the hundreds of people every month who give to this church and do this. It helps us out to be able to create a church for people who don't typically like church and do events like Friday night. Friday night, we took the resources of this church and steward them in the best way possible for us. We figured out, listen, if we can utilize our building and invest about $2,500 into an event, we can bring in mostly people from the community for a really good cause, multiply it, and raise over $11,000. It was 10-7 on there, but we've had some come in since then. Over $11,000 that doesn't go to us, that doesn't make us buy a new projector or new things on the walls, that goes towards clean water projects. We want to be good students. So when God says, what did you do with what you had? Well, we had what we had was a building. We had a little bit of money, a little bit of seed money. Uh, we had a, you know, a fun kind of cool. We have this weird, stupid back alley that kind of transforms at night for some reason. becomes like a really cool place to hang out. We're going st- to put that all together. And we're going we're gonna to be stewards of this opportunity in this season that we have to be able to multiply our money so that more people get clean water. And we're only re- able to do that because of people who, like you, like so many of you, call East Lake home who say, here, here, here's, here's me knowing that I wanna be generous, knowing that I wanna be a part of this type of thing. So thank you. I say all this not as like a condemnation, we gotta get this thing better. A lot of, I know I'm preaching the choir on, on some of this stuff. You've been tracking this, you know this. We couldn't do this without you, so thank you. We feel honored and blessed to be able to be a part of a community that prioritizes this. I know on, on, a, on a personal level, I wanna do this. On a corporate level, I wanna keep continuing. I want this to be a pattern for our church, not just something that shows up once a year for drinks for drinks, but we thinking through that, that mind frame of how do we make this work? How do we make this work better? How do we good, be good stewards of this? How do we say at the end of our life, here's what I did with what you entrusted to me versus here's what belongs to you? Would you stand with me? I wanna pray for us and we'll get moving. Father, thank you for... Uh, what you have blessed us with. It's, it doesn't take us long to kind of reflect uh, on how lucky we consider ourselves to be. Uh, maybe some of us are going through a season where that's a little bit less obvious. We're in that season of, of, of paycheck to paycheck or uh, in that season where there's just, you know, again, we don't feel like we're not in danger of having our money master us because there's just not much there to do it. Um, let the message that it's not about how much, it's about what we do with what we've been given shine through. This, this factors into so many different arenas of our life, but especially in the area of finances, 
um, because of the danger of how it can, uh, that we're all vulnerable to making it the factor in our life and that we fail to understand it as a means but settle for it as an end, and that's terrible too. So give us the wisdom to know what to do with what we've heard, the courage to act on it in your name. Amen.